Welcome to The Mary Morgan Show, where I take you behind the scenes to all things brand, advertising, marketing, and sales, and how I've done business a little bit different without a sales team, without a website, without a big social media following, without ads, and without all the things that you're quote unquote supposed to have. I built my business from $100 to my name in 2018 to 80K, 100K, $130,000 cash collected months over and over again. And we're revolutionizing the industry. So if you want to join us, follow along and I'll see you on the flip side. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Training Thursdays. I've got a super special guest on today and I'm so, so excited um, to bring this conversation because I know in this community, we talk quite a bit on all things like strategy, tactics, all the things. And Amy is going to jump in here and share a little bit of her magic. So for anyone who doesn't know you and your just absolute goals, why don't you introduce them to your work? Hi, guys. I'm Amy Lee Westervelt. I am a mystic, a modern mystic, a mentor and a spiritual channel. Um, I've been in the business world for about 10 years. I was in multi-level marketing for a long time, and then I moved into coaching Um, And now I do a lot of work with the metaphysical and a lot of energy work and really kind of helping people to align what's going on inside so that they can see better results on the outside. Um, I have five little kids, 10 and under, who are just the joys of my life. I do homeschool. So if you didn't hate me before, you will now because I have like the perfect life. My husband's amazing. I live in this gorgeous home. And I'm really excited um, to share every single thing that I know with the world so that they can have that kind of magic in their lives too. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. So one of the biggest pieces that, you know, I reached out to you with was like, we have so many people who follow the tactics and the strategy. And when I started my business, I truly thought that that's all I needed to teach people. It was like, I did great in my graphic design stuff in my other business. And I'm like, okay, I just need to show you how to land clients and then do this and then do this. And then often then I started to realize they wouldn't take action or they would show up on camera and then they weren't as confident as I saw them on calls and all of these like sticky points. I'd love to hear like biggest blocks that you see and like, how do we navigate them? That is such a good question. And I actually, so when I talk about having a download, what I mean is that literally I went from, hmm, I wonder what's for lunch to like a giant encyclopedia in my brain of a piece of information. So I had a download about this. um, And what I downloaded was called the villain blocks. And so what I discovered is that, and, and I've, you know, worked with hundreds of clients too. And I've noticed that there's this point where it doesn't matter what the strategy is they stop themselves from doing it. They get to this point right before their goal and they throw the landing gear on. And I never really understood why that was until I had this download. And so the download basically was about this idea of the villain blocks and how deeply society has ingrained this idea that having and doing and being who we want to be makes us bad, right? If you look at any of the tropes of TV shows or movies, the bad guy is always gorgeous or she's absolutely stunning. They have tons of money, right? They've got foot soldiers coming out from like around the corner. They've got their own army. They're like dripping in diamonds. They have everything they desire. And they're also terrible people who are exploiting others. So we have built into, well, we haven't, but it has been built into the fabric of society, this idea 
that if you have what you desire and you have the things that you want and you live the life that you want to live, that that somehow puts you in the category of bad people. And we, more than anything, we don't want to be seen as the bad guy. Like that is the thing that will keep heart-centered entrepreneurs from pushing harder. So when we look at these villain blocks, the way that I like to look at it is in correspondence to what's called the creative process. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of the secret, right? The law of attraction. Well, in the law of attraction, there is what's called the creative process. The creative process is made up of three components, ask, believe, and receive. And I think those are pretty self-explanatory. So where do we get the villain blocks? Well, the villain blocks come when we add the prefix, who am I to, to each one of those. So let's start with the first one. Who am I to ask? Believe it or not, the world is broken up into two different subcultures. They're called askers and guessers. Now, as I talk about each one of these, you may recognize yourself in one or the other. In ask culture, people have no problem asking for what they desire. They also understand that somebody can always say no, but they always ask. These are the folks that are like, go, go follow my podcast. Please leave me a review. Can you do this thing for me? Will you, I saw one the other day where a gal was like, Hey, if you're buying something on Amazon, will you let me know so I can make you a link and I can make some money? Like these are the examples of ask culture. And a lot of people grew up that way. But then there's also something called guest culture and guest culture. And that's the one that I came from. Guest culture is more of like a passive aggressive, only making your needs known when it's emergent. Okay. So these are the people that will be riding alongside with you if you're carpooling and they will actually sit there and shiver until you say, do you need me to turn the, the air? Like, do you need me to turn the air down? Right. Rather than saying, excuse me, I'm a little cold. Can you turn that down? So we get this from our families and from, you know, kind of whoever raises us and that kind of permeates who we are. So what happens is the resentment that you feel sometimes with other coaches and people and entrepreneurs in the space is not that you don't think they're good enough. It's that you're almost resentful that they ask and you can't, right? Like you have this energetic feeling of like, well, I wish I could do that. So I love to give this example. If you imagine that you are at like a football game or something in high school and you see somebody walk by with like 15 ice cream sandwiches, okay? And you look over and you turn to your girlfriend and you're like, oh my God, did you see her? She has like 15 ice cream sandwiches. And she overhears you and she looks you dead in the face and goes, what? They were giving them away. Like the freezer broke. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can have that too, right? Like I, and that's the way that abundance works. I know it's mind blowing. It's like, you can go get ice cream sandwiches too, but you've told yourself a story that this person's doing it wrong, that this person's doing it in a mean way. And so that is the first block, right? Who am I to ask? I'm terrified to ask because what does it mean about me if I ask, right? There's children starving in Africa. You should have done blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So we're terrified to ask, but let's say that we come from ask culture and we have no problem asking. We get to the second block, which is believe. Now, this is a tricky one, Mary, because who am I to believe is the same as the know-it-all. Do you remember the girl in school that always had the answers? It was me. 
the one that always had the answers, the one that was asking the teacher questions, the people that know where they're going are off putting AF. Okay. When somebody's like, I'm going to make $20,000 this month, everybody turns to them and goes, Oh, like, why does she have to say that? Because and it's like, they're waiting for them to fail. I think too. I think that's a big piece. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So nobody wants to share their, their certainty. And the thing is, when it comes to belief, belief is a choice. Belief is a choice. Doubt is a choice and belief is a choice. So when you make the decision that you're going to do something, what happens is sometimes people will be like, but I, I don't necessarily want to come out and say that because what if I don't? Because what if they all laugh at me? Because what if I don't make it, right? And so we don't throw all of our, I don't know, like all in our gambling energy onto the thing that we're trying to create. Instead, we sit there and try to pick it apart. And we even go so far as to bring in this disgusting word that I hate, which is hope. Hope is faith without balls. Hope is like, well, I mean, I, I hope it happens, but no connection whatsoever. No skin in the game. It's like, I mean, if it happens, you can't be mad at me because I had nothing to do with it, right? Like, I hate that word. I hate hope. Hope is like, it's over there and great if it happens. And if it doesn't, oh, well, then I'm just- You know not- what? You know what mine is? Try. I'm going to try and get that done. I'm going to see if I can do it. Oh my gosh. These are huge, huge blocks. Okay. I'm prepping some questions. I'm excited to ask. All right, let's keep going. Yeah. And of course, like to say like your word is try and like we're on Star Wars day. So like I can hear Yoda in the background. Do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) Did I know that I knew how to do that voice? Sure. Didn't. Did not. No. Until now. (laughs) Until now. So then, so then after we have, um, believe, right? So, so I always say people would rather be poor than be sure. Like they would rather like not have it figured out and stay separate from it than actually go all in on something that they truly want and truly desire and believing wholeheartedly. Because if they just continued to believe, it is an inevitability. So I always say the distance between impossible and possible is a lifetime. The distance between possible and inevitable is a choice. Massive, massive. Yeah. Moving on to the last one, which I think is kind of the most self-explanatory, that is the receive. Who am I to receive, right? So we've got the asking, we've got the believing, it's right at the door, and you've got these, you know, men with Uzis standing outside of the door like, you can't get in here. Like, no, like, we can't have this, right? And this is especially with women, like, oh my gosh, what does it mean about me if I have this, right? So talking again about the villain and like the idea of like, oh, well, if you have these things, you must be a terrible person. I have a friend who is a very wealthy, very wonderful human being who's terrified to talk about the wealth that she has because she's like, what does that say about me? Well, I guess it means that you're exactly like me, except you have way more money. Like, like, to, to someone like me and you, we're like, um, it just means that there's paper or there's, there's digital number. Like it doesn't, you know what I mean? But to her, that's such a point of like, people are going to attack me. Like, and you know, when you think about receiving, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of blocks that are built into that. Number one, responsibility. When you have more people expect you to do more with it, people have jobs for your money. 
when you start making more, there's a certain threshold where it's like, oh, let's help them. Let's take care of them. It's okay that they can't do it. And society kind of just gives you a pass. You get to this point where it's like, how come you're not rebuilding the roads in the town? Like so-and-so's daughter needs money. How come you're not doing it? And so we all have these energetic realizations that when we get to a certain point, there's going to be more responsibility. There's going to be more expected of us. And suddenly people are going to start making, you know, comments about, oh, well, you know how she got that? Well, I heard she did this. And I, and the reason that they do that is because they have been taught that as long as we can find a reason why somebody got something in a non-ethical way, well, then it justifies why you don't have it, right? So we're constantly, and again, I mean, we, society is constantly disempowering people and giving them something to project their frustration onto rather than reestablishing their empowerment and reminding them, no, you've got this. No, you totally, like, you totally have this. Like, you can do this too. It's like, yeah, I know. Doesn't she suck? Like, it's awful, but you know, that that's the way it is. So just keep hating her. And that's, that's what we perpetuate. So when we look at those billing blocks, we come to realize there are so many deep seated reasons why we don't go above and beyond, why we don't push ourselves further, why we don't just even energetically align with more income, more wealth, more success, because we're subconsciously afraid of these three things. Oh my gosh. Like, I literally have no words. I feel like this is one of the best explanations I've honestly ever heard of, you know, what blocks us from receiving even like, cause this is it. When I think about the ask, that was so interesting that you divvied it up into two like core pieces. And I similarly came from a guest culture. My fiance came from an ask culture. So that created a really interesting dynamic to say the least, because I'm like, when my eyes do this, this is what it means. And he's like, but I can't read your mind. Like, what What do you want? Like, so it was this interesting dynamic of like passive aggressive, you know, eyes, gestures, looks like I remember, you know, my parents who, it, you, you know, the look, when you see the look, you know what to do. And then on the flip side of that, his family was like, you ask, you ask, you ask, you get what you want. So it was just such an interesting dynamic to see the mixture of both. So this was so huge that you mentioned that because I feel like this then changes how we ask for things. When we show up on, you know, sales calls or conversations, can you describe a bit about the difference? Like if someone's in an ask culture, like what hurt, do they see hurdles still when they're still asking that's different than those who are in guest culture? Like I can recognize guest culture because I've seen it and I would second guess myself like how do I ask this how do I say this there's a bit of that I would love to hear maybe more there yeah so I heard a story where there was a man and he and his wife had just gotten married they lived in New York City and somebody went to the wife and said um, this man showed up on a on a message board about this and he said someone asked my wife um, can I come stay with you guys? I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be gone from 10 to 10. I'll just be on your couch. Like I'm going to be there for two weeks. Is this okay? And the wife came to the husband and said, is it okay if my friend comes? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what to say because on one hand, like, I don't want this lady here, but also I'm not really sure how to handle this. And there were people in the comments that were like, she has every right to ask. You can just say no. She's a, she can, she can handle no. 
And some people were like, how very dare she? Like, oh my goodness, she even thought this. So I think when it comes to these situations, you can always ask. You just have to be open that it might be a no. And so I would argue that we should all really be moving towards an ask culture. But I also recognize that a lot of us just didn't have the luxury of that. You know, I mean, I know growing up, if I was somewhere and like, you know, I wanted, not that I ever would, but if I wanted like sweet and low in my coffee, my mom, you know, if I was like, oh, excuse me, can I, you know, like she would give you daggers, like, oh my God, you ask for another piece of pie. Like what is even going on? Because I think also our, our generation, our parents were so enmeshed with us. Like what we did spoke so deeply to who they were. And it was like, we were an extension of them. And I don't necessarily feel like that with my children. Like sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. But I don't feel like it's a personal attack on me per se. Whereas I think the generation before we kind of saw that more. So I would say that everybody should really work hard on feeling allowed and, and, you know, um, deserving of asking for what they desire with the caveat that it's also okay if somebody says no. I love this so much. And I shared actually earlier today, it was just on an Instagram live and I shared a bit about this story. And I was like, I burned a million dollar business to the ground because I built it in a way of validation. I built it because I wanted to make someone externally proud. And it was like the likes, the comments, all that was like pats on the back, the Clap, sweetie, you're doing a good job. And when we think about that dynamic, I love that you said that because that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was an extension of then like my bloodline. And it was this like, what are you now going to do? Are you going to live up to the plate? So then it was like every move you make becomes something that's like, what do I now decide? What do I now decide? So it was this huge um, piece of like, there are no wrong answers. I get to be okay, no matter what. And that was such a huge learning. So I love that you mentioned like, as a culture, we need to move into like an ask for what you want. And it's okay to say no. And I feel like we are already moving in that direction. And, you know, even things that are like simple things, like someone offers you a drink, it's okay to just say no, instead of, well, today, I feel as though, and like, we're trying to put this like, beautiful little path together, but it's not really that. It's like, no, my no is good enough. My no is perfect. It's just yes, or it's just no. So I love that you brought that up. Okay. And then when you talked about believe, you mentioned, um, you know, the knowing where we're going and having this feeling of like belief. I'd love to hear like biggest things, like hurdles and experiences that you see, especially when it comes to our own belief, like we know what we want. And then there's this belief piece. I'd love to hear any of the big pieces that you've seen with your clients. Yeah. I think just, you know, kind of like falling back into the patterns of what happens if I'm wrong, what happens if I say this, and then I just look stupid. Um, I remember my daughter was in the hospital and she was like four months old and we wanted to fire the doctor um, because we just didn't, and we had another doctor that we wanted to come in and we kept trying to call that doctor all day and he was seeing patients and all this stuff. And I remember at one point, these two residents came up to the room because we were like, we're firing our doctor, this doctor's coming. And these two residents came up and they folded their arms, guy and a girl, and they were like, we called the office of that doctor and he's not coming. Like I actually had a moment like that where two people like 
shows you, right? Well, long story short, the next morning, guess who was there at the crack of dawn, number one, and my daughter was fine. But that feeling of like, told you so, like everybody feels like there are going to be people out there doing that. And we see this most commonly when it comes to launches. During a launch, the worst thing ever is to publicly bomb a launch. We think that people are sitting there like, aha, I knew it. I never saw those congratulations come by. And I know that she didn't have anybody. And I knew she wasn't going to get any, like no one gives a shit. No one is sitting there watching what you do or don't do. But we all have this fear of like, oh God, I only got one person. They're going to know like, this is so awkward. And that's actually what keeps us from filling our programs because we, even though we know that our craft is amazing, we know we're the best at what we do. We know we're going to deliver. We're so terrified about what happens if we don't, that we're giving off this desperation energy where clients are like, I don't even want to go anywhere near that. And it has nothing to do with our competency or our ability to deliver the content. It has to do with us getting in our heads. And that's why, like, you know, there's so much around launching, like, you know, um, what do they call it? The, the, the lull, the mid cart lull Mm -hmm. people like jump off buildings, not literally, but figuratively during this time, because they're like, I got a couple people at the beginning and now I got to wait till the end. And it's like, that's all your energy, girlfriend. That is all your energy. Like when you really start to calibrate and go, what's the worst case scenario? So I don't get all these people. That's number one. And number two is like, what if I just decide that like take a piece of paper, put a dot in the middle and be like sold out launch. And every time you deviate from that dot, well, well, what if sold out launch? Well, yeah, but Mm. what if this is sold out launch? Like you just keep coming back to what I call the dot and not the dot. Everything other than what you want is not the dot. And what you want is the dot. So it's the dot, the dot, the dot. And it's so complicated. But once you just make it binary like that, is this that? No, it's not. Back to the dot, back to the dot, back to the dot. Yeah. And what's so interesting too is like, and I, and I feel like you will agree with this as well. It's like, no matter what stage of business, you still have those fears. Like I still have fears. Like, is anyone going to buy this? I don't know. And probably more so because people expect so much of you, right? Like you can't have, I mean, not that you, of course you can, but in your eyes, you can't have a bomb launch because it's like, that's Mary Morgan. Like she's at this level. She should. and, And I mean, you won't, But that, that's a very different thing for some, like if Amy Porterfield had a bomb launch, like, you know, like the world would be like, what happened? What, what did she do? This is is why pedestals are so disheartening, not only for the person, but they're horrible for people as well. Because even just hearing that, I think that was a fantastic example. If you're like Amy Porterfield cannot have a failed launch launch in my mind, I'm like, but why not? She's human. Like, what if she tests something and it doesn't work? Does that make me trust her less? Personally, it doesn't. But that's because I removed figures like this off of a pedestal. But for some people listening, it might be one of those things where you're like, oh, I would never buy anything now from her. And it's well, like, I would argue they would <laughs> never let it happen. Like if it did. Yes. Yes. I mean, like, okay, let's, let's use an example like CNN plus, right? Like they put like hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars into this and they had 10,000 people sign up. 
And if it yeah. wasn't for the fact that somebody like leaked that, it wasn't like they were out there saying, well, we're sorry that we had such a crappy launch. Yeah. Like they just moved on quietly, right? Yes. Because they recognize that. So I would say if Amy did have a failed launch, they'd probably turn it into a masterclass or something, or like you would yeah. never know that, right? Because it's like dancing. It's like when you're dancing and you miss a step, nobody knows that you missed a step. Nobody yeah. knows. And I think that's the piece too. It's like, you you get to a stage of business where nothing really is like a fail. It's kind of like, uh, okay, I totally see how now running ads, it's a completely cold market now and how that style that I did organically didn't work here. Okay, so let me try this. But they don't see it as like check mark, big, massive X, like success, failure, good, bad. Like it's not this like, yes, no. It's more of like, okay, cool. So let's take this, let's take that. And that's one of the biggest pieces where I feel like as you're going through these stages, it's really eye-opening because it's like, you're doing this and it's iterative. It's not this thing of like cut and dry. Okay, beautiful. I love what you said about receive. So one thing that stood out for me personally was like the justifying the receiving, the wanting it to feel a certain way, wanting to make sense of how someone receives how did she, how was she in the same program as me? And she got there. And then your eyes go from being all excited in this new program to like, hold on, why is she? And there's this like different energy completely. And that blocks us from receiving. And there's also a piece of when this happens to ourselves. I remember hitting a certain point of success. And my mother was like, stop posting about your numbers and your success. Because I have family members who are now asking me for money. And our fat. And it was this whole thing of like, again, you're an that extension me of me. Too. Yeah, that happened to me too. My husband and I went to the toy store and bought all the games and toys that we couldn't have as little kids. Like we just decided to buy them for our kids one day and we put a receipt on Facebook, like, look at what we did. Like we bought $700 worth of toys as adults. Yeah. And my husband's family lost their minds. They were just like, why would you put that? There's so many people. And I'm like, because we damn could, because yeah. we got to a point, we worked hard. We, you know, we wanted to have a different experience for our children and we bought, you know, don't break the ice and shoots and ladders and what, I, you know, battleship and what, what was the other word? Crossfire, like all these like games that used to be on Saturday morning cartoons. Damn right. We bought them. We absolutely did. So yeah. what, you know? Oh like, my gosh. And this is huge. And I feel like a lot of people don't talk about this side where it's like, we keep this stuff really internally and like we privatize it because it is you know, part of our private relationships. And it's not something that we need to, or we want like whatever, but we could. But isn't it so interesting? So when I turned 40, which was in November, I made this big post about, I became a mom in my twenties. I became a multimillionaire in my thirties. And I can't wait to see where my forties takes me. Right. And one of my clients, uh, sorry, not clients. One of my cousins commented on this post and said, and so humble. And I thought to myself, you know, if I told you I baked a million cookies, you'd congratulate me. If I told you I did a a million steps on my pedometer, you'd congratulate me. If I told you that I donated a million books to charity, if I told you I I planted a million trees, but you changed that word for money and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I'm a piece of shit. Why Mm -hmm. is that? Why is it that we can congratulate all the other accolades, but the moment you start talking about earning money, you're a jerk. You're throwing it in people's faces. That's your money block, my darling, not mine. 
Yeah, I love that. Denise says this is such a perfect analogy. Yeah, it totally is. And I think a part of this too is like, so how do we move forward from this? Like we, one, like I almost see like stage one is awareness. Like you're seeing this all around you and you're disconnecting it from yourself. Like you're not seeing this as uh, I have an issue with me, but it's like, okay, I can see how this is a projection of how they're experiencing you know, going through their life and how they're seeing worthiness come up or whatever it is, um, you know, that they've suppressed so deeply, but they're seeing you and it's triggering this suppression that they have. So it's like, but how is she? And I see this all the time. I say, you know, if someone on Instagram is triggering you because they're dancing with a bikini on and you're like, but how is she? Why? And you're like shaming them in your mind. It's like, well, where have I suppressed something within me where I'm seeing that as shameful within myself? And it's like, that's the work. And there's so much in there. But for you, I'd love to hear your perspective of like, how do you navigate this? How do you move from this? Okay. So we're getting into the energetic side of things now. So like open the door, like it's very, you know, weird in here. And it's all so we're woo-wooing it from here. Okay. So inside of every person and specifically we're talking about women here there are kind of like two aspects there's your human self and there's your higher self and I refer to the higher self as the goddess that is the innate divinity that lives inside of all of us and she is like the biggest advocate for your desires and your dreams and she is is where all of your power lies now when you fall into these villain blocks you kind of like tell her, hey, can you go get something out of that closet for me? And then you kind of shut it and you don't let her out, right? So when you repress your inner goddess, she isn't available to give you guidance and to support you energetically when you start to have these problems. So if you've ever read the book, um, Outwit- I think it's called Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, um, he talks about the other self. And he, this was after he made a bunch of money, you know, the, um, the stock market crashed, it was the depression, he was living with his brother-in-law or his brother, one or the other, um, sleeping on his couch, much like my brother is upstairs, but anyway, and he decided to go for a walk and he refused to come home. He went up to the school and started walking around and he was going to refuse to come home until he figured out his, his shit. Right. And he was decrepit. Like he had no money. He didn't know what he was going to do. And while he's walking around up there, he starts hearing this voice in his head. And it's like, yeah, I'm your other self. And you haven't really listened to me, but like, you should probably listen to me now. And so he's like, oh, okay. And so there's this whole dialogue where it's like, here's what we're going to go do. We're going to go do these things because this is what you need, right? This is what's going to get you where you need to go. Go talk to this guy, go do this, go do this. And he did all the things. And this is true. Like this is in the book. He did all these things and then he became a multimillionaire again. And we all know that he like lives as a legend in all of our brains now. He's mm-hmm. a thought, prolific thought leader of, of all time. Um, and so how does this relate to us? So we have this exact same other self. Now, I want to tell you, there are a lot of cases where this other self shows up in, um, in society. So have you ever noticed when you watch a movie or a TV show and there's that trope where the person makes a deal with the devil? Mm-hmm. And they like get whatever they want, but all of a sudden the devil starts doing bad things and one of their friends gets killed and like, oh my God, please, like, I wish I never made a deal with the devil. Well, what that mm-hmm. actually is, is connecting to our inner self and the part of us that realizes our inner divinity and our ability to create. 
So if we can get people to stay away from that energy and think that it's the devil and that it's like, oh my gosh, you can't manifest. You can't know what you want and bring it into your reality from your higher self, from that badass bitch inside you. That's like, I am not putting up with somebody telling me I can't, I'm not putting up with somebody treating me some type of way. I'm not putting up with clients who don't pay their invoices, right? Like she advocates for you. She is like, you, you know, you're, you're um, like your executive assistant on the inside, but she's got teeth. And so when you unleash her, she's the one who's going to be like, Hey, we need to do this. Hey, we should do this. Hey, you know? And so she's never going to tell you what to do, but she's going to give you guidance. And so when you start connecting to her, she's the one who's going to be like, no, you're not wrong that you did that. Good for you for saying, for sticking up for yourself or for deleting that post or for deleting someone off of your Mm -hmm. post. Good for you for deciding to give that person their money back. Could you feel that energy of somebody who's there to be, to have your back? And so that's kind of what That's the next step is recognizing that there is a power inside of you that's ready to go when you're ready to let her out. I love that. I love that. And I think a part of this too is like when you have like a pull, you have an intuition, like you have a feeling within you that's like you should do this, but then you hold yourself back. Like I truly see this as like a Holy Spirit within us that are like, this is the guidance. Like this is something that's so much bigger than your decisions and who you are, like trust it. But I feel like a part of us and we've been built um, to protect ourselves, quite honestly, right? So it's like anything that's scary, unsafe, someone doesn't like us, you know, there's something, it's like we build a protection. We want to seem different. We want to look, it's almost like we camouflage into a different version of ourselves so that we fit in and it, things feel good. So things we feel safe again. In, right. So bring it back yeah. to that. So society has built this electric fence around any, mm. anybody trying to figure out that they are an aspect of divinity, that they are God in a human form. And so the closer you get to that, they've got to zap you. And they do that through making you feel like everybody's going to hate you. Everybody's going to hate you if you touch this fence. And so we're like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'll do whatever you say. I'll put my head down. I'll, I'll, I'll stay in my lane. I'll, I'll get this close to my goal and then I'll sabotage it right at the end. Right. Yeah. And we all do this. I mean, well, we all have done it. Yeah. And this is so interesting. Like even the fact that you said your husband's family was like, why would you make that post? Why would you do that thing? Like I've had a similar experience as well. And it's, I think a part of this too, is like, it's not just our belief, but then we see it and it like solidifies our belief, which is really dangerous too. It's like this feeling of like, see, I was right. See, I was trying to protect you and see what happened when you didn't listen to me. And it's like, this feeling that we feel of like, okay, go back to being small, go back to not playing full out. And I think a part of this too, is like making a consistent conscious decision of like, no, I am playing bigger. Right. And then right. suppressing and understanding it. Yeah. That, there, that there is stewardship in doing that. So I always use the example of the guy that built the, you know, the penis rocket to the moon, like the money that's out there, like, would you rather be in your capable hands where you're going to allocate it to number one things you love, but also like, charitable causes or whatever, like, or are you going to have it be picked up by somebody else who wants to build a phallic rocket to the moon? Like Mm. when you become the steward of money, you are giving money a good home. You're the one who's, who's 
in a position to use it to heal the world, yeah. you know? And so it's not negative. It's not, you're not being evil. Nobody said that having abundance means that you're going to squander it. You may be afraid of that. That's not a given. And you get to make those choices. And wouldn't it be better served in the hands of someone like you than somebody who, you know, wants to swim in it like Scrooge McDuck? Oh my gosh. Amazing. Any final words to really like wrap up this segment for anyone listening and they want to start, you know, implementing these things in their lives? I think a really great exercise would be to sit down with your journal where you're really quiet and just ask yourself, like write in your journal, you know, goddess, what do I need to know right now? Like, what do I need to know? What do you want to tell me? And let yourself free write and you will see how much power and wisdom and pent up frustration about like, I've been trying to tell you, I've been standing on a chair, waving my arms around. And really connecting to that inner divinity and take some deep breaths because, you know, at first you're going to be like, oh my God, is this awful? Is this a cult? Like, am I, am I terrible? Is this going against my religion? No, none of the things, because it's all from a place of love and light. It's, it's, it's not, oh yes, let's connect so that we can go, you know, destroy our enemies. Like, no, that's not what this is about. When you really look at the truth of what it is to recognize your inner divinity, it's recognizing that you're pure and unadulterated love on the inside, that everything that you are and aren't is everything that everybody else isn't and is. And there is a camaraderie in the human experience and the human condition. And so when you tap into that inner divinity, you recognize you've already got it all. There's nothing missing. You're not not as pretty as her, not as rich as him, not as any, you have it all. And then you stop trying to compare. You stop trying to become because you already are. So that would be, I mean, you know, if I can give them a homework assignment, I think I would say to do that. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and you've got this, get ready to receive all the things be in your power. I absolutely love this conversation. So thank you so much.